Welcome to the Curator Salon podcast. I'm your host, Gita Joshi, and today I'm talking to my friend, Simone. Welcome, Simone. Hi, Gita. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, we met in Venice in late 2018 when I was there for the Venice Biennale. And we had some great conversations around the Biennale itself, the art market, logistics of the festival, all sorts of things. So it's great to have you on the show. Simone works for the European Cultural Academy, which is a sister organization to the European Cultural Center. And I just wanted us to talk to our listeners more about the Venice Biennale as a structure, because as you know, you know, there is the national pavilions, which is what most people know about uh, the Venice Biennale. This is really what gets represented in the press, mm. national participation, which means, you know, all the countries that are taking part are then promoting their artists within their home countries, particularly across the media. And that's what it's known for. But there are other ways of getting involved. So let's talk about the next layer of that, which is the collateral events. And then under that is sits the fringe events. You've had quite a bit of experience with collateral and fringe events. Talk to us about that. The European Cultural Centre is actually organizing um, exhibitions since more than 15 years. And they can be seen as a collateral event, but also as a fringe event of the Venice Biennale. And basically what they're doing is they have four palazzos in Venice and two public gardens. And they host over 150 participants from around 38 countries annually. So that's quite a lot. Um, and the Academy, on the other hand, is the sister organization who offers short courses in art, architecture and urban design. And these courses take place in Venice, parallel to the Venice Biennale. So since this channel is actually also dedicated, of course, to um, artistic practice, I don't want to focus any much uh, longer on architecture, but more on the art side of the um, Academy, because what we are actually trying to do is sort of generate a transparency on the art market and the creative industries, um, but also talk to curators and organizers of the Biennale to give you sort of an honest perspective on the culture sector, the Biennale and sort of what is going on in, in Venice. Um, what you have to understand is that the Biennale is sort of divided into its main exhibition, which is curated by the selected curator each year by the Biennale team. And then on the other hand, you also have national participations, collateral events and the fringe. So that means at the two main locations at Arsenale and Giardini, you will have national participations, but in each location also the main exhibition. So for 2019, Ralph Rugolf will curate the main exhibition. He is the director of the Hayward Gallery in London. So he does that. But next to the main exhibitions, you also have the national participations, which are either curated by the representatives of each country um, or by entities such as the British Council, for example, for the British Pavilion. Um, so these national participations are, of course, concentrated at Giardini and Arsenale, but they can be also concentrated at fringe or at collateral events in the city of Venice. So there are two options to participate, actually. I'm sorry that I'm going into depth here now, but um, I think this is very interesting because there are two ways of participating as a national participation, either as an official collateral event or as a 
unofficial one. Um, so if you like to be an official collateral event, you need to pay an admission to the Biennale, which is 15,000 euros to receive the logo of the Biennale. And if you prefer to kind of organize your national participation um, by yourself, you can do that as well by basically choosing any space in Venice. Among others, of course, um, also events are organized at the European Culture Center. So here, it's sort of the bigger scale makes sense again, because um, you can either participate at the European Culture Center as an official event or as an um, unofficial collateral event, which is called Fringe just to give you an idea. What I found really interesting actually is the national pavilions have an embassy kind of status, don't they? You know, so you feel like you're going into the Australian embassy and then you're technically on Australian soil. Yes, indeed, because um, some of the pavilions um, are actually owned by the countries. So the Biennale has no authority actually to, to destroy the pavilion or rebuild the pavilion. And of course, if you think about sort of the Giardini itself, which is sort of struck me the most because it is a place that is um, defined by sort of its um, colonial history in Europe because it was built in 1895. So back then nationalism was thriving. And you, you can see that at the Giardini because the majority of um, the national participations are actually some which represented sort of the thriving powers of Europe at that time. So it's meant to be an international exhibition, which it certainly is, because it is one of the oldest in the world, oldest biennales. But what about um, which countries are represented? Because this was kind of one of the conversations we had when I was there, that there's a lot of Africa missing. And I think South America has got slightly more. But again, there's a lot of countries that are missing. What do, have you heard anything about that expanding? Just to give you an idea, um, the Giardini itself is not expanding anymore and uh, the Biennale also says that they are not including any further national participation in there, but their argument is that you can always participate with the national participation inside the city of Venice or at the Asenale where you can basically also still rent spaces for um, participation as a national embassy and indeed it has the structure of being so sort of functioning as an embassy. What we saw last year were some of the collateral events like the Victorian Albert Museum I think it was and they had a pavilion for applied arts so it's quite interesting that institutions that can basically set up their own pavilion uh, as well and this was one of the things that kind of drew me to uh, coming to see Venice uh, particularly for uh, last year's Biennale, was around those collateral events and identifying how people can not just take part, well, obviously you'd have to be an artist of a certain profile to be representing your home country. Um, but the idea that, you know, basically any kind of group or organisation can have their own pavilion, like I said, with the V&A setting up the Pavilion for Applied Arts, but potentially, you know, having a pavilion for California or Somerset or something. I thought that was really fascinating and how that can, you know, there is that possibility of having an independent kind of platform there, but then getting the exposure on a world stage. Yes, indeed. It does make the Biennale also slightly more inclusive as you might expect it to be. But it is such a costly endeavour as we, uh, we were talking about before as well. 
it seems like there's only about what is it three or five shipping companies that are allowed that have the permission to transport artwork from the airport or from the mainland over to Venice which is obviously an island so in, in itself those costs naturally go up then if you wanted the official Biennale badge then that was I think I thought it was 25,000 euro but maybe it's 15,000 um, and then all the other things the other cost implications of that which is one of the things I really like about the ECC that really helped you know anybody that's sort of looking to take part at that level would sort of help them get funding from their home countries and you know other sponsorship and things like that as well as not just arranging logistics on the ground. Yes indeed um It is quite a costly endeavor, and especially if you keep in mind that the transportation costs from sometimes Canada to Venice are less expensive than transporting um, objects from Venice Airport to the historic center and to into the building itself, it becomes sort of a logistical nightmare. We always like to tell also some anecdotes about um, some people never wanting to exhibit in Venice again because unfortunately they dropped all their marketing material into the rivers of Venice. Um, But um, that is, of course, a risk to take, but it is also some of a charm that comes along with it. I believe in one of the next episodes, you're also going to talk to Sami, who is the curator of the Pakistan Pavilion. And he will probably also tell you some stories about the logistics related to that. Um, but yes, indeed, with the ECC itself, um, you get great experience as well in terms of understanding what it means to exhibit in a historical palazzo, which has all kinds of regulations. So you come across uh, all sorts of uh, logistical problems that you wouldn't have in a regular white cube scenario in your local gallery. And that includes things like the administration and things that you get across Venice, because obviously it's a historical city, which is all about its own history. It's all about preservation. You know, unlike any other city, really, it's not about moving forward. They're not building, you know, residential tower blocks or anything. Everything is about its own sort of preservation history, keeping it as it is. There's also regulations very particularly around where you're allowed to hang your banners and the prospect of being fined if you've got it two railings over. It's um, it's really quite complicated compared also, I mean, that's outdoors, but even when you're indoors, you know, like you said, with the Palazzi that the ECC run, there's a lot of not touching the original architecture when you're installing the artwork, isn't there? Because I know there's a lot of um, either false walls were put up or just having to find new ways of displaying artwork. Yes, it is always a challenge to work with different media, especially because, for example, at Venice design, everything is about design objects, but then we also present objects such as uh, sculptures and photographs and paintings, and they all have different requirements. And what about video as well? Because there was a lot of video going on um, at the Palazzi, wasn't there? So how are you managing all these sort of technical requirements around that in a historic building? Yes, so that's actually also the fun part because we always have to find new creative ways of displaying the artworks. Do the artists get much inclusion in how the artwork's displayed or is that really left to the curatorial team? It is partly up to the decision of the curatorial team um, 
where to display the art. But of course, it depends a little bit on how much space um, the artists require, because um, if they get to choose, for example, a whole room, then of course they're involved in the curatorial decisions as well. But since there's over 150 participants, you sometimes have to make compromises. So one, a lot of our conversations then and since turned to, you know, this, this phrase we heard many times, right? See in Venice, buy in Basel and the art market. What are your thoughts on that? As a culture economist, I'm always interested in the art market and the Biennial is definitely a fascinating case study in terms of like the power of an institution and how it impacts the art world. Because see in Venice, buy in Basel is actually describing sort of the interest for an artist, but also like how its demand for the artist goes up. And what actually happens in Venice is, of course, as many might know, that um, very much galleries and artists um, at the same time are interested in presenting in Venice because they know that their value will go up by presenting there. Let's talk about that Damien Hirst story. Go on, tell it. The Venice Biennale is actually still sort of connotated as a festival in comparison to the Art Basel. But of course, it tends to be forgotten that it has its commercial parts. So, for example, in 2007, the White Cube Gallery sold most of the works of Tracy Emin actually before the opening of the Biennale. So there is, of course, some kind of sales going on, but the Biennale is not the platform for this. And... Actually, in terms of the demand for artists and the rising demand of them, um, there's also this case of the Damien Hirst exhibition, um, which was a large-scale exhibition at the Piano um, Foundation 2017. And actually, to me, it very much felt like re-establishing the value of Damien Hirst on the market because it recently, in recent years, it went down and therefore with that exhibition he was sort of thriving its market value again. Because didn't the Venice Biennale actually used to have a sales office that then that closed I don't know a few years ago or a few decades ago even but the, the commercial aspect clearly still exists like you said with uh, Damien Hirst showing at the foundation but he was showing somewhere else as well at that time? Exactly so he was um, showing a large-scale exhibition at two locations at that in 2017, he was showing at uh, Palazzo Grassi and at the Punta della Dogana. And the sales office actually of the Biennale, the sales office of the Biennale closed in 1969. But it started out as a sales exhibition. So there was a um, commission actually given to the government in Venice when they started out in 1895. But due to student protests of its commercial role, it closed down in 1969. But since then, there have been actually efforts also made that the sales office would open again in 1993, but it hadn't succeeded yet. And I think that's also due to the um, sort of connotation that we were talking about it earlier as well, that it is seen as a festival. It is a biennial. So it's not an art fair in itself. Well, I am really looking forward to being at the opening in May. I look forward to seeing you then as well. And you have an intro to Venice Biennale course running in May as well. Is that right? Yes, indeed. So during the opening week, we're going to have another course, um, which is called Venice Biennale Revealed. And in that course, we're going to focus on the Biennale itself. We're going to visit artist studios, 
meet the curators and make it, makers of the Biennale and its collateral events. And I'm super excited to see you there, Gita. Yay, it's going to be a load of fun. So where can people find you online, Simone, or where can they find the ECC and ECA? So we have both websites. So you have the website of the European Culture Center.com and you have the website of the European Culture Academy.com. And you can find us on social media, of course, Instagram and Facebook, also under European Culture Academy. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you in Venice.